He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We are once again having to live in Rigby's Hollywood world. He's not going to be joining us until a little bit later in the episode. So... He's starting to develop a brand around here, and it's not a good one. He knows California's in a different time zone, right? Based on his texts, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just make sure we give him shit when he gets here. James. So I am uh, officially back to being unemployed. I, I quit my job, and I'm going to school full-time. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a college student forever, a Peter Pan lifestyle. I'm looking forward to it. Congrats, buddy. Thanks, Welcome man. Nice. Yeah, man. It takes a lot to uh, walk away from that. Case. Not a ton on my end, although there was some tragic news in the uh, radio world over the weekend. Hall of Famer and legend Fez Watley of the Ron and Fez show passed away and wanted to shoot out an RIP to Fez. He was quite the entertaining guy and, and actually one of the reasons that I'm interested in podcasts and radio is because of how entertained I was by that show. So wanted to shoot that RIP out. But uh, other than that, man, fired up for the uh, Chris Hemsworth episode tonight. Glad to have it. Little shout out, Warren. You know, after the past you know week or so, uh, I've decided to turn my life around and start lifting weights for no reason. Um, I could really go for a six pack and like beautiful hair, which I'm pretty much fucked on. <laughs> really, really gonna try and go beautiful. Maybe adapt a new accent. I don't know. <laughs> I was watching Hemsworth movies, and he's like, yeah, "Well, I'm gonna get in Thor shape." Is that is that what that is? Damn. <laughs> I promise you. Uh, that ship has sailed, man. So there's a lot of time for you to quit if you want. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you trying to get back to the swimming weight, Warren? What are you trying to do? Uh, it's only 25 pounds, maybe 30. On my end, I'm very excited. The trailer for the season three of What We Do in the Shadows dropped today. So I'm excited for yeah. that to hit in a couple weeks, September 3rd. So for the uh, Monty and I are fans, for the others listening out there, and you didn't know season three was coming... FX Hulu in a few weeks here, making his return to the podcast, Monty Grohl of the Movie Marathoners podcast, as the host of Movie Marathoners, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating roster of guests who join to discuss, rank, and review all types of films and television. He recently finished his doctorate in biomedical engineering out in Boston. All right. We've got another doctor on the podcast today. Hey. Oh, hey. shit. Congratulations, sir. That's awesome, man. Thank you very much. Look um, at the big brain on Brad. <laughs> <laughs> when he's not studying to be a fake doctor, he's watching movie marathoners and running regular marathons. You can find movie marathoners on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in and you might hear a few familiar voices because he tends to mistakenly invite Munson's to his podcast. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I keep doing that. I don't know either. Um, he previously joined us for the Sam Rockwell episode, which is definitely one of our more popular episodes up to this point. Welcome back, Monty. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Welcome back, sir. Yeah, congrats yeah, on that schooling. Long. That's crazy. That's unbelievable, man. How many years? Thank you. 
Uh, it was actually only four years I got lucky and was able to finish it kind of quick. I'm just looking forward to not being a student anymore, man. I, I got like flashbacks, James, when you were like, I'm going to be a student forever. <laughs> uh, I've been a student forever. <laughs> so I, I went straight from undergrad to grad school. So it's it's been a long time where I have the potential to actually earn anything below or, you know, above minimum wage. Mm-hmm. It's wildly overrated in case you're wondering. <laughs> but what is cash what you did is really impressive then for the rest of the podcast if you don't address me as dr mati i will not respond <laughs> to your comment 100 yes sir we were calling jeff reed sir jeff for half an episode so <laughs> we'll do anything we don't care <laughs> well let's do this shit dr girl let's have ourselves a good time birthdays august 26th warren has got a few ready for us yeah, we got a few who have had movies with Hemsworth, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. First off, we'll go Chris Pine and Star Trek with him, uh, Wonder Woman, the first one, Hell or High Water, and Into the Woods. Man, Pine is the man. Good fucking actor. Love him. Pine is 47. I think he's older than he looks. 38. Oh, I was going to say 38. Uh, I'll go younger. I'll go 36. Give me 42. He's 41. So with Price's Right Rules, Mati gets in with 38. Damn it. Oh, damn it. Go. I guess W. Who I win? Let's go. Second, Melissa McCarthy. He's <laughs> in Ghostbusters with him. Uh, Spy, Bridesmaids, The Heat, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Tammy. <laughs> great, great run until Tammy. 43. Melissa. Well, I got no idea. 44. 45? 40. Oh, you guys are dicks. Aww. All right. Well, I hope it's 43. <laughs> I hope it's 44. All right. She's 51. All right. Last up, Macaulay Culkin. Home Alone. Home Alone 2. Uncle Buck and the the Page Master. Oh, the Page Master. <laughs> yes. The good son. The party monster. Macaulay. Oh, man. That guy's lived three lifetimes at this point. I will say he's going to be 45. I'm going to go younger. Maybe 48. 37. Dr. Grohl says 37. I'm going to say 40. 41. Same age as Chris Pine. Let's go. Hold wow. That's, that, is the, that is the crazy thing. <laughs> Hold born on. on the exact same <laughs> Is there day? a world where Chris Pine is the kid from Home Alone? <laughs> and Macaulay Culkin wow. is in Star Trek and Wonder Woman. Yeah, and Wonder Woman. I think that's on this week's What If, presented by Marvel. <laughs> that movie just got a whole lot sexier. I'll tell you. <laughs> All right, thanks, Warren. Yep. All right, five actors we toss on the wheel, despite the fact that people were hoping you were a Will Arnett guy, Doctor Grohl. Uh, you were not for this particular episode. Maybe for a future one, but the other actor choices included Will Arnett, Bruce Willie a.k.a. a dickhead, and James was going to have a whole bunch of research to do. <laughs> Shah Rukh Khan, which would have been our first Bollywood actor, and Marsha Gay Harden. But all four of them will go back into the pile. Back to the pile! Back to the pile! Back to the pile! They're going to go take someone else's jobs for a little bit, and maybe we'll get back to them later. But for today, for this episode, episode 43, we're going to be talking about Chris Hemsworth. And Dr. Grohl has decided to join us for a little Chris Hemi. Hemsworth has about 47 credits, just less than 50 credits on his resume. Relatively new in the game, comparatively to some of the others we've reviewed recently, and most of the work he's done is in film. There's some TV scattered in there, but most of his film work. So we like a good cinema actor. And as we normally do, let's dig in. 
by hitting on some trivia and see what James has prepared for us this time. Yes, yes. So, Maddie, you know the game. We're going to do two truths and a lie. Two of these facts that I will read are going to be about our man of the hour, Chris Hemsworth. And one of them is going to be about the many stars of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, it is a, an American classic at this point. So it is your job to guess which one isn't about Chris Hemsworth. All right, let's do it. Fact number one, was awarded $300,000 in Spain's Supreme Court against the Spanish publishing company, which published news, nude photos of him that had been taken while he was changing clothes during a magazine photo shoot. Very uncomfortable even reading that, uh, as you can tell by me stuttering over my words. <laughs> Fact number two, his uncle was the inspiration for the title character and movie Crocodile Dundee. Fact number three. Famous for being a masculine action star, it'll shock you to know that he has a prominent Dr. Seuss tattoo, which he has to have covered during movies. Dude, these are the best you've done. <laughs> Those literally are the best. 100%, I agree. The second one sounds true. But it's like, sounds so obvious, right? With three kids who are all actors, I feel like that doesn't come out of nowhere. So it seems like there's some talent in the family. So I'm, I'm still... Stuck on the other two. I'll, I'll pass to you guys for now. I would say number one, because he's married to Elsa Pataki and she's Spanish, that makes sense if somebody gets gets a dong shot. I'm going to say two, and I think it's uh, Charlize Theron. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to Tyrese again four episodes in a row. Yeah, if Tyrese's uncle is the, <laughs> the inspiration for Crocodile Dundee, I will uh, insert anything here. <laughs> I'm going to say fact three, and uh, I wasn't able to do any research on my own this time, so I'm just going to say it's Idris Elba. Noted Dr. Seuss fan, Idris Elba. I think, I think you're trying to trick <laughs> us there. I'll say number three as well. I was swayed by the fact that he's married to a Spanish woman, so that makes sense. So one checks out. Two seems so obvious that it can't be incorrect. And three, I could see so many people in Fantastic, or Fantastic Four. And... What, what's the other movie series? Furious something? Fast and... The Fast Fox and Furious. Movie? There we go. And that somebody's got to have a Dr. Seuss tattoo. I would guess maybe Jason Statham. I'm going to go the first one just because nobody's picked it. That's actually Teresa Mahoney, Irish actress and pinup girl who played Lady in Rain and Hobbs and Shaw. And she had some, she had some nudies taken and was not a big fan. Of course. Fan of yes, everyone knows Teresa M- Ma, ma what? Mahone, 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 yes. Can we not be disrespectful just Reese on this podcast? <laughs> she paid three hundred grand to have them published. <laughs> That's early viral marketing. You pay, you pay for the narrative that you want. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to work to the fact that I think is the most interesting one. So, fact number three is actually true. He has a Dr. Seuss tattoo. He's got three tattoos total. Uh, one's the initial of his wife and his children. The other is an, a matching Avengers tattoo that he got with all of his co-stars, with the exception of Mark Ruffalo. And Dr. Seuss, it was his first tattoo that he got, and it's on his bicep, and it's actually the protagonist from Oh, The Places You'll Go, which was uh, published in 1990, and it was the last book that Dr. Seuss put out before he died. Normally, you give it to people graduating kindergarten or elementary school, but very cool to see a noted tough guy prominently display that on his gigantic biceps, and it's got to be covered with makeup during all of his movies. Fact number one is not true. That's actually a fact about Elsa Pataki, his wife. Warren, you almost nailed it. Damn. What I figured out in doing my research is... She's in Fast and Furious. Yes, she's she in, is. Uh, she's in 
Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven, and The Fate of the Furious. She is one oh. of the many characters in the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> oh, Warren. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and Marty. Marty followed <laughs> along. Yeah, I got baited. <laughs> and some creep took photos of her and she sued them out of business. They were this little nothing publishing company and she got all their money, which she deserves because that's fucked up. But she's also married to Chris Hemsworth, which is just a beautiful little bow of this whole trivia thing. Uh, but this brings us to the best fact. And the reason it's the best fact is, one, it starts off so absurd. And I promise you by the end of this, it gets way more absurd than I originally anticipated. So fact number two is true. His uncle was the inspiration for Crocodile Dundee. Um, his uncle's name is Rod Ansel, and he was married to Chris's aunt, Joanne, which is his mother's sister. Ansel became famous in 1977 after he was stranded in an extremely remote part of the country, uh, the Northern Territory of Australia. His story kind of reminded me of the movie 127 Hours, where you see the mistake after the fact, where it's like he's this three thrill-seeking outdoorsman who went out of his way to push the boundaries and forgot to tell people he was going on one of his thrill-seeking trips. His boat capsized, and since no one knew he was missing, no one came looking for him. So the story of his survival for 56 days with limited supplies became headline news around the world. It consequently served as the inspiration for Paul Hogan's character in, in Crocodile Dundee. He never got any money from that. He sued Paul Hogan many times and never got a dime out of it. And here's where things took a wild turn. The reason Hemsworth probably doesn't bring this up, partially because he is a very private person, hard to find anything out about Chris Hemsworth online, but also this next fact. In 1999, his good uncle Rob was killed in a shootout with the police while he was high on meth. He thought he was being stalked by the Freemasons, went into the middle of traffic at rush hour, and started shooting policemen. He was shot dead in five minutes, being shot over 30 times. Wow. I don't want to spoil the movie Crocodile Dundee for you, but that is not how it ends. But that is unfortunately how this story ended. I was shocked by that. Uh, that's why Hemsworth probably never brings that up. Wow. Wow is right. Wow. <laughs> that's, let's just end the podcast right there. That's it. That's it. Let's roll, roll credits. Well, James, you've outdone yourself 100% this time. Hemsworth is such a private dude, and he seems like a good guy. There's not a lot of, like, controversy out there on the him. There's not a lot about, like, ooh, interesting facts. Like, one of the interesting facts I found was, like, he's born on a Thursday. Thor was born on a Thursday. I was like, that is the least interesting shit. Like, how is that? <laughs> it's written by an eight-year-old. It's written by an eight-year-old. <laughs> like, nothing interesting about that. Case, snapshot in box office history. I'm, I'm anticipating this man has done very well in the box office considering his blockbusters. Yeah, speaking of very good, Hemworth does very good in the uh, box office section of things. He's actually the first actor we've looked at where the strengths of his profile actually hurt him in the metrics that I use, strictly because of the, the size of the budgets of the movies that he's in. He ranks number one in our rankings of average budget per movie at 128.2 million. Dude. Wow. For comparison, Philip Seymour Hoffman ranks 20th with 45.8 million, and Craig Robinson is dead last at 21.9. But his average budget on films is 128 million. So the guy is obviously a, just a massive movie star, right? Mm -hmm. Why I say that the metrics hurt him is I've tried to set our, my numbers up so that they, they take in consideration 
actors that also do smaller budgeted films and do well. And so really the, the way to do well in the metrics that I'm using is to be in a low budget, big box office movie. And some of the ones we've talked about have actually been comedies, which have been interesting. That being said, he does have a lot of really fun box office numbers. Last episode, we talked about Holly Hunter. She joined others who had been in billion dollar movies. Well, Hemsworth has four of them. <laughs> Both the Avengers movies eclipse $2 billion. If you look at the 30 movies that I was able to find box office information for, he's been in movies that have grossed over $12 billion. Jesus. <laughs> it's real. That's $1 billion for every ab muscle. <laughs> to match his 12-pack. <laughs> well, this dude has printed money as the uh, god of thunder. He isn't necessarily bulletproof in the box office, though. Go on. He has two notable bomberoos on his resume. Ironically, the first one I want to bring up is a movie called Cash, which is written with a dollar sign instead of an S. This movie was budgeted for $7 million and grossed a cool 46000 I think it was written, written by Kesha. <laughs> uh, however, his biggest box office flop landed him at number 33 on CBS News's 42 biggest box office bombs. While the movie did gross $89.7 million, it still ended up losing $10.3 million as it was budgeted for a cool $100 million. The movie's in the heart of the sea. Oh, yeah. It's actually one of Ron Howard's lowest performing, if not his lowest performing as a, as a director. Mm-hmm. That movie uh, was actually the first time that I've been doing box office performance searches. And it came up in an article. So that was an interesting one to find. Mm. Overall, I mean, the dude kills it in the box office. And, and he finishes in the top five in our metrics. And, uh, and I'm excited to talk about these movies. Because all the movies that I put information in for are movies most movie fans have heard of. Yeah. So where, where does he finish in the 43 in terms of stacking up? He ranks fifth overall with fourth in star meter, 11th in critic, which was a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Eighth in fan ranking, and then he's got a, his box office numbers are in the high teens. And that is good enough to put him fifth. Top five is big time. Top five is big time. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Well, let's dig in to Hemsworth's life and career. And we talked, a little, we talked about some of the checkpoints already. Let's start here. So 2009 is what we're going to go with as his first feature film. Uh, so before that, you know, he's born in 83 in Melbourne, Australia. He's got two brothers, Liam and Luke, who are also actors. So a lot of, there's some uh, there's some good talent and genes in that bloodline for sure. His first job ever was <laughs> he worked at a pharmacy cleaning breast pumps. Uh, a long way from started from the bottom. Now we're here. So I found that fact when I looked it up. I was like. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. So <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the note and I was like, we'll just cover that real quick because yeah. I don't need to do a deeper dive on what that experience was like. Dude, I will tell you, it, it's hard as hell. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Uh, he got his higher education at Heathmont College. And from there, he started his film and TV career. Before his first feature film, he had five very brief TV appearances. Uh, his first one was in a <laughs> in a project called Guinevere Jones. He played King Arthur in what is apparently a very bad adaptation of King Arthur. That's what I read. 2002, it made an appearance on an episode of Neighbors. Um, 03, The Saddle Club. Fergus McPhail in 04. And then 
kind of his, I guess his first big break was on the soap opera Home and Away. He played Kim in 192 episodes. That's just like a drop in the bucket because it's 7,700 episodes. It's, <laughs> it's 7,700? Yeah, 30, 35, 35 seasons. Wow, that's like one episode compared it's, to other yeah. shows. Yeah. Did anybody watch an episode of this? I, I watched some when I lived in Australia just to like see it, but that's the time. Yeah, it was it was just yeah, I wasn't working you know, on day where I you know, when I got down there and was just seeing what was on TV in the middle of the day. It's it's that and it sucks. Did you watch some of it? Well, I I tried watching an episode and I couldn't make it through the intro song. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big fan of the Australian soaps, eh, Case? Oh, that was rough. I watched clips from Neighbors, Saddle Club, Fergus McPhail, and Home and Away. Not much, but I watched enough to figure out there was a consistent theme with his characters and how he was cast. He was cast as the really attractive guy that women swooned over. And not much has changed at this point in his career in some ways, but he started off very much filling that type of role where like women are like, oh my God, he's so cute. That was, I feel like that line was said in everything I watched in the early days. Yeah, he's been typecasted. Yeah, right? Terrible. It's insane when you're like the, the hottest dude on the planet, right? That's the type of jobs you're going to get early on. And what a dick. What a dickhead. <laughs> I really rub it in our face over there. But that same time with Home and Away he is when he moved to Sydney. And he did a little thing called Dancing with the Stars Australia, which there are clips of on YouTube. If you're listening, you can check it out. You can see him strutting his stuff. There's an interesting story about Dancing with the Stars and how it almost lost him one of his first jobs. He almost lost Thor because they were a little worried that they saw him on Dancing with the Stars Australia. And they're like, I don't, we don't know if we can turn this guy into like a superhero. Um, so. Yeah, because Thor does so much dancing in all the movies. <laughs> what I was able to read with him is when it comes to acting is that he's like, I never really wanted a real job. He's like, I was always good at lying to get out of doing actual work. He's like, I work out all the time. He's like, but I'm not that athletic. So like sports wasn't going to be for me. It's like, so I just like, what's a job I can do where I don't have to actually work that hard. And here we are. And and apparently if you're just a a good guy and you're funny and uh, one of the most beautiful people on the planet, people will figure out a place to, to put you in some movies. So like his role in Ghost in Ghostbusters is super meta to his like real life. <laughs> I'll talk <laughs> about it during my review, but I'll get there. yeah, I think you're uh, I think you're there. <laughs> Doing well. Look at this. And then the final thing we'll talk about is I guess his first big movie role was in I'm not going to say big movie role, but his his first role in a big movie was Star Trek. He played George Kirk, Chris Pine's dad. So the Chris universes are coming together early on in his career. Kyle, I would argue that it may not be a big role, but I think it's a it's a pretty like iconic role. Important. He ends up being James T. Kirk's father. Oh, I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's cool as hell. It sets the vibe for the movie. Yeah, I was looking forward to getting into it when that movie came out, and I loved that opening scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it immediately sets the tone. It's serious and funny and dramatic. I love the joke he has about how they shouldn't name the kid after his dad because his name sucks. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> T- Tiberius? He's like, that name's terrible, Tiberius. <laughs> so funny. It's, and I think that's kind of like a preview of 
what and what I think is his sweet spot. I think he does really good in you are naturally going to be in awe of his looks, but what he's good at is he's very funny and charming. And in, and even in serious roles, he can come across funny, like in that situation. Yeah. This guy uh, reviewed him in Star Trek and he said, it's the best five minutes I've spent in a movie theater this year. I saw that review too. I love this movie. And I think that, this casting is one of those ones that at the time you just didn't know who he was. So I remember seeing it and being like, okay, well that that's interesting. But I feel like when I went back and watched the movie and you realize that that person was Chris Hemsworth after he becomes famous, it almost is one of those things where you're waiting for that character to come back or something because he is such a famous person. Mm-hmm. Right? And I mean, they even tried to do that in star Trek three or four or whatever. They said that Chris Hemsworth was going to come back as they were going to do some timeline stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I thought it was a really great introduction to him. Agreed. So first feature film 2009 is a perfect getaway and Rigby has it. A perfect getaway is a 2009 thriller film starring Timothy Oliphant, Mila Jovovich, Steve Zahn. So three Pretty notable actors, and then as the aforementioned Chris Hemsworth in one of his first uh, first minor roles, but one of his first roles that's in a notable movie. The movie is about newlyweds played by Steve Zahn and Mila Jovovich. Jovovich. They are on their honeymoon to Hawaii, and they meet a hitchhiking couple who are played by Marley Shelton and Chris Hemsworth. And immediately the couple finds out that a recent uh, another couple was actually uh, murdered on the island that they're honeymooning on in Hawaii and immediately there's some doubts about who who did it what each ulterior motives are and then Chris Hemsworth's role is very small in this in that he actually is originally the from what I remember is he and Marley Shelton are the couple that are arrested for the murders, although they actually didn't do it. And so their role is kind of is diminished pretty early in the movie because you're you're supposed to think that they're the ones who who committed the murders. And that's not the, the case, as you eventually learn in the movie. There's a lot of twists in it. Uh-huh. A lot of flashback stuff that they don't really show in the in the plot just kind of get you guessing at every turn craig i know you said you enjoyed this movie i hadn't i i wasn't able to watch it for this episode but i do remember seeing it five or six years ago uh late night on hbo one night and and yeah what i remember about chris hemsworth is that he's you know he's got his buff bearded like good looking guy like who's supposed to be kind of a badass and and you're supposed to assume that he's got a dark side and he's a psycho but it turns out that he is not the he and Marley Shelton are not the crazy couple that you that you are led to believe within the first like 45 minutes of the movie. So minor role, but, you know, in terms of what they needed out of it, Chris Hemsworth is good. You know, he's a he's crazy hitchhiker who who you assume is the bad guy. And that's not not the case. Sounds like it's pretty important to the story. One of the concepts that they they talk about, so Steve Zahn's character is a he's claimed to be a well, we got to be careful because there's a ton of spoilers in this, but he's claiming to be a movie writer. They're talking about red herrings. They basically make Chris Hemsworth character a red herring in this movie. Mm-hmm. He nails it. He's actually got like a Fu Manchu type beard <laughs> and he's scary as hell and he flips out at his wife when she won't get out of the car after him and Steve Zahn kind of get into it. And it kind of sets that up of like, 
man, this dude is unstable. Yeah. And then we run into him a couple other times, and, and the, the writer and the director do a really good job of, of making you feel like Chris Hemsworth's the guy. And this is one of the few movies that I've watched that the movie ended, and I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. And then you got to kind of go back and think about the movie, and you start putting everything together, and it's like... It surprised you a little bit at how you got there, but it's a it's a fun movie to watch if you haven't seen it. If you guys haven't seen it, I'd go watch it because Steve Zahn and Mila Jolovich are they're great in this movie, and Timothy Oliphant is great in this movie. This is a really well casted movie because everybody that they cast in it, they kind of they use their what we're used to them being in. They use that against you as an audience member to kind of take you along on where they're trying to take you. And it's effective. They take the typecast and, and kind of turn it on you, use it against you. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's a perfect getaway. Not quite the Raising Arizona level from the Holly Hunter episode, but pretty solid overall is what it sounds like for a first feature film. So after that first feature film, the, over the next couple of years, you know, you see, you see him start to ascend to stardom, not necessarily with his role as Sam and Cash, as Case talked about, his his first film after he moved to the U.S. alongside Sean Bean. But he did begin dating Elsa around this time in 2010. And they've since had three kids. I believe it's twins and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Daughter came first and the twins were after. So nice, happy family. They're living in Australia now. But at the time, he was living in the U.S. And the big, the biggest of big roles, kind of what took him on this superstardom path, he gets the role of Thor in 2011, a... Uh, I think a movie that surprised a lot of people that they could pull off. And I think there was a lot of doubt about the movie when it was coming out and when it was announced. He's, he was made for the role. Um, mm-hmm. And this one, you know, compared to other Marvel movies, I think it does a, a decent job of setting it up, but it, it lacks the humor that subsequent Marvel movies start adapting and they start taking a little bit more uh, levity in their films. But this one still blows the hell out of the second one. It's good. It's a little dull. It's like a little boring to me. And that might be because it doesn't have the humor that they later found, because that's the part of Thor that I ended up loving in that second half is when they kind of, uh, I think it's when we'll talk about Ragnarok, but like that is where I immediately was like, wow, this is awesome. And I went back and was like, oh my God, these are actually very different styles of movies. Yeah. yeah. You guys know who directed Thor, right? Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, wasn't it? Kenneth Branagh, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. I didn't even realize that until I started doing the research. There's a decent amount of humor in that first movie, but I think you're right, James, that they're still like trying to figure out their footing. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that in the first movie, the humor doesn't come from Chris Hemsworth. It comes from everybody around him or like yeah. him accidentally being a fish out of water kind of thing. Yeah, like the the beer, you know, slamming the mug down. The rest is from the rest is from Cat Dennings. She was yeah, the Cat Dennings is the funny. She was supposed to be the humor person in it. Yeah, but then you know you get Tyka, who just he he unlocks something in Chris Hemsworth and says, "Oh, this guy is actually really fucking funny." Yeah, absolutely. Brunt of the joke, right? Which I think is perfect. Yeah, one of the few funny jokes from the first one is when he goes to the pet store and tries to buy a horse. I need a horse. which again kind of unintentionally funny it's more situational than anything it's not a punchline joke but one of the few moments where you kind of get to see the silly side of his character yeah his first like humor really pops up in the avengers because he's like yeah i'm a god like deal with it or he is a little bit lighter but he's playing off of like such huge and like established people that he's still not the 
you know, the top one. And, you know, when you, when you lay out all the Marvel movies, taking the, like the big, you know, anthology movies out, I mean, I put Ragnarok as either like one or two yeah. in in like the the ones. It's either that or like Guardians. Guardians. Of the Galaxy. Yeah, yep. yeah. Did you guys realize that he was almost not cast as Thor? That would have been a shame. Didn't he have to compete against his brother? Yep, Liam, amongst others. So his his agent actually had to fight for him to read like a third or fourth time. They didn't like him. Listen to some of the people that they were going after. It was Liam Hemsworth. Actually tested for the role. Daniel Craig was offered the role outright, mm. but he turned it down so he could focus on James Bond franchise, which oh. worked out well. That would not have worked. That would have been terrible. <laughs> so old. <laughs> Too old. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Uh, he wanted oh, yeah. Thor originally. He's so good as Loki. Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. Yep. Alexander Skarsgård. Joel Kinnaman. Mm. Kevin McKidd. And... WWE star Triple H. <laughs> oh Can you imagine? While he was on the set of uh, of filming The Cabin in the Woods, Joss Whedon kept trying to give him advice and tips on how to try to get that role. And yeah. Hemsworth's agent was finally able to, to get him to get another reading, at which time he kind of had enough of the character built in that he was able to secure that. I thought that was fascinating. It's very fascinating. Yeah, that's crazy. The world could have been a very, very different place. <laughs> oh, that's interesting, man. Almost all of those are terrible choices. None of those people are funny enough to pull this off. No. I, I, I mean, like, I none of them are, they can't make fun of themselves. I mean, like, Charlie Hunnam is really good when he's in stuff, but, like, he cannot do what Chris Hemsworth does. No chance. They made the right choice. Took their time, but they made the right choice. We're spending a lot of time on this, but, you know, it's, it is... Chris Hemsworth, like half of his career. It's literally seven movies up to this point with at least one more on the horizon. He says the contract's only through eight movies, but I never believe anybody when they say those things for the Marvel Universe because everything is a smokescreen. But when you look at the early days, right, we've got Thor followed by the Avengers. Then you've got Thor Dark World, which he did say in interviews that he felt was kind of stale and he was looking for the character to do some different things. So he was fully embracing funny Thor in some of those later projects. But after Thor Dark World, you had Avengers Age of Ultron. That's where you start to tease that Chris Evans as Captain America is worthy of Mjolnir. And then that'll take us up to Thor Ragnarok, which we will cover later. And then we'll we'll dig into the other Avengers movies later as well in the timeline. Because they're all about timelines in the Marvel world. And I feel like we have to stick with that. All right. So same year, big year for him. Cabin in the Woods, Kurt. One of my favorite movies. I know you guys love it too. Great movie. It's so great. One of my fav- favorite horror genre movies of all time. Chris Hemsworth is fantastic in it. And it is right in that sweet spot of he, you think he's going to be like this dumb jock and he's not. And he's very self-aware of the dumb jock stereotype and he plays off of it and it makes it hilarious Tons of good one-liners. I can't say enough about this movie. Yeah. Uh, I use the Hemsworth joke all the time where he walks in on his girlfriend reading and he goes, who are, he's like, who gave you these? Who taught you about these? And he grabs the book and she goes, I learned it from watching you. And she runs away. <laughs> so fucking funny. Captain the Woods. Cool, cool movie. Really cool role for him. Role for him. You know, he tries to do his best dirt biking jump and it doesn't quite work out for his character, but that's okay. It's shocking that it wasn't high as critic score, but I think that it tests to what we're going to cover later. 
The last one we'll cover very briefly is his role as the Huntsman in Snow White and the Huntsman. We've never talked about this particular version of the movie. We've talked about the sequel, The Huntsman Winter, Winter's War, that came out in 2016 with Emily Blunt and Jessica Chastain, which Warren, I know, is just getting very, very tired of talking about at this point because he does not love it and said to talk about it twice. But this is where he got his character start in the, uh, in the original in 2012. Well, let's jump straight into our lowest critic score review. So on the back end of 2012, following up Snow White and the Huntsman, Hemsworth was in a remake of Red Dawn, and Warren's going to talk about it. Movie, uh, movie blows. Uh, the, <laughs> the original was entertaining. It was topical at the time. But Red Dawn, it was, uh, it's got a great history where uh, it was originally like his first film movie. Filming started in September 2009. Wow. And it took so long with financial issues because it was MGM. So MGM was going through a bunch of stuff and they had a bunch of other movies that they, you know, they said, hey, let's go ahead and focus on this. Finally, they got a cast together and started filming in Michigan. And before they knew it, they were like, all right, we're kind of done. And then they were like, well, we should probably change the uh, villain. Initially, it was supposed to be China. Then they were like, well, that would just be dumb because we're basically cucking you know, our second largest sales. So we won't do that. Art's all about making money, am I right? Sure, bro. Yes, you are. And so then they went back in and kind of changed stuff up in 2010 and then 2011. Uh, MGM was fin- finishing Chapter 11 restructuring. And so then they finally finished it in 2012 and got released. All that aside, Hemsworth's not bad in this. He he plays the the older brother who comes back after having some military experience and... To perfectly honest, my least one of my least favorite people in any role ever is Josh Peck. <laughs> I agree. As his younger brother, he is so fucking annoying and so bad. He's just he's absolutely terrible. Almost makes the movie unwatchable. How bad he is in this movie, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly fine. You know. He it would have been better if Josh Hutcherson was the younger brother instead of Josh Peck. If this was the original movie, you know, I think it would have done. It would have had a little bit better reviews. But since you have a better movie to go off of, you know, I think we'll you'll end up seeing that with Ghostbusters as well. But the cast isn't great. Hemsworth meets, meets a great demise in the movie. Yeah, Warren, was this a was this a bomberu at the box office? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Lost, it lost 15 mil. And after Red Dawn, Hemsworth makes an appearance in one of his better movies, 2013's Rush. They couldn't have cast a better, just like cocky, like good looking douchebag than Chris Hemsworth, who mm-hmm. you end up actually rooting for and cheering for. I mean, the, the ironic thing is you kind of re- end up cheering for both of them, but yeah. it's an awesome movie. Great performance. Action packed. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. I believe it's on Netflix right now because it is based on a true story. But it does a great job making you not hate either person. Where yep, you understand their hate for each other because they're so different from one another. But as the viewer, you're like, yeah, I mean, he's flawed in this way and he's flawed in that way, and 
you know, what he's doing to that guy is kind of mean, but like, I'm kind of pulling for him. Like, I hope like this works out for him a little bit. And I think it's a great balance with Hemsworth where you want to hate him because he is cocky and he's absolutely a douchebag, but he's kind of like aloof and kind of fun loving and he kind of plays off of his persona and you're and he's very good at what he does and so you're like all right i can kind of see why he's so magnetic to everyone and then daniel Bruhl as nikki lauda who is like very by the book very unlikable you end up rooting for him too because he's getting dunked on in the the way that you imagine like a classical sense where a bully is beating up on a nerd and you're like no nah, i want this guy to stand up for himself and the movie just plays that balance really well i think james hunt is the best version of like a toxic masculinity character like there he he is just a problematic human being but you just want to root for him because like you're saying james he's so magnetic yep I think that is mainly because of chris hemsworth james hunt had been calling nikki lauda like ugly a rat yeah. yeah, the the entire time. And then when a reporter suggests that his wife won't find him attractive anymore because of, you know, the accident he was in, Hunt, in his mind, is like, no, I can say shit like that, but you're actually taking it too far. Like, I'm being a schoolyard bully. You're actually, like, trying to cut this man deep. That's not, that's not fair. Yeah, I'm trying to get a competitive advantage. You're trying to ruin his life. Right. It's a shame that it didn't make more at the box office because I, I feel like... This is one of those movies that gets lost in the kind of, um, well, this is the time period where Chris Hemsworth is doing things that aren't Marvel and none of them are working. And I mean, this one is critically acclaimed, of course, but like it, it didn't, I, I don't know, you would have thought that you would have had an, a slightly more star power to be able to elevate this thing a little bit higher and get it in front of more people. But mm-hmm. I guess not. I don't know. Well, we'll keep it moving. At this point, Chris was anointed sexiest man alive by people magazine in 2014 congratulations chris must be nice but that gets us to 2015 another one of those movies that i think Monty was probably mentioning when he said some of the movies non-marvel stuff that wasn't working and also jay one of his favorite movies and that is black hat where chris hemsworth plays a hacker named nick because all hackers are sexiest men alive from People mag. I have very few bad things to say about Chris Hemsworth, but I will say I found him ineffective in this movie. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Miscast is the word you're looking for. That's a very coach way to give criticism. <laughs> it's an ineffective performance. <laughs> I don't think he can pull a nerdy dork off. Hot take. <laughs> I think in Ghostbusters, he's making fun of the character he was supposed to be playing. And Black Hat. Interesting. Okay. I even read that he felt like his performance felt flat in Black Hat, that there, there was something missing. So even he knew. Maybe that yeah. came from terrible critic reviews, and he's like, shit, I got to come up with a reason for why I, would, I did not do my best work. So we've got Ultron that same year, and then uh, a crossover with Christina Applegate and Regina Hall in Vacation. He plays Stone Crandall, a very fun part of that movie, a man with an enormous penis, Willem Dafoe style. And lots of faucet metaphors. Kyle, when you sent that picture earlier today, I did not want to acknowledge it as real. So that's, I'm glad <laughs> to know 
it's from this movie because it's like that's not fucking real. <laughs> it's like there's no fucking way. Yeah, it's <laughs> from that awkward scene where Applegate and Ed Helms are in the bedroom with him, and Ed Helms doesn't notice it, but she does, and fucking uh, <laughs> mag light falls out of his pants. <laughs> <laughs> but his 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 uh role is so random in this. Like the faucet <laughs> metaphors are hilarious. Like they're just so. It's just so. I mean, it's a it's a gross out movie, but like I would say, his, it's fun. I, I really oh, like yeah, that I would say that scene is probably like the most memorable of the movie because you don't like you don't. He just walks in and all of a sudden he's got like a literally a twelve inch dog <laughs> hanging off the side of his leg, <laughs> and that and the the scene where where they ride the four wheelers around the cows is absolutely hilarious too. Murders <laughs> a cow. Yep. And he feeds meat to the cow. He's like, isn't that a cannibalism, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's so private in his real life because we would find out that this might actually be how he is in real life. Like just dumb, but yeah, it's enthusiastic as hell. The sweetest guy ever. I mean, he's yeah. so sweet and he never gets mad at anything in this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Super nice. Yeah. Overly nice. You always think there's yeah. something up with those guys. So yeah, vacation is a fun one. And we, talk, and we talked about it quite a bit on the Applegate episode a while back as well. Um, but that year, 2015, he makes the move back to Australia, where he's still at today. So leaves U.S. after about six years, five or six years in the U.S. And then that same year, he's so big, he not only hosts SNL once in the same calendar year, he hosts it twice. He hosted it in February of 2015, and then again, I believe, in December of 2015. Oh, shit. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, what was he promoting on, on the two different ones? I think the first one was Ultron, and the second one, I'm guessing, was... Vacation. It had to be Vacation or potentially Huntsman, maybe even like pre-Ghostbusters, one of those two. I don't know. My guess would be Ghostbusters, since all the yeah. SNL alums were in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, that's that's so. crazy, man. That's really impressive. And I saw some of his skits, not the best. He, he, had, he struggled to keep a straight face in some of those, but who, you know... A lot of the regulars do as well. So it wasn't like watching Adam Driver in a skit where that man does not break any character whatsoever and just delivers absolute gold. But Lauren Michaels is such a genius and he's such a machine. For him to realize that Chris Hemsworth would be a draw for two episodes in the same year, that tells you something. Oh, yeah. But we'll round it out here with his appearance, again, as we had mentioned before, in Huntsman Winter's War, a movie we covered on the Blunt and Chastain episodes. And that's going to get us to Largest Critic App, which is the uh, Kids' Choice Award winning role in Ghostbusters in 2016. And James has it. So Ghostbusters has a 74% critic rating and a 49% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I won't summarize the plot of Ghostbusters because I'll never do it justice because it's uniqueness. And its uniqueness is actually part of the problem with the reboot I'm about to cover. So general premise is it's an action comedy with some horror elements i.e ghosts that essentially is like what if exorcisms weren't conducted by priests but instead were done by like blue collar exterminators and those guys were played by comedians so yeah a wildly unique premise that in the 80s caught lightning in a bottle Mm -hmm. and took over pop culture it was perfectly casted perfectly written and it was so unique that the world just fell in love with it there are a few problems with this version of the movie, two of which I don't think is anyone involved in the movie's actual fault. Um, 
One is Hollywood loves remaking movies that we love despite us begging them not to because they love beating money out of dead horses. Uh, this movie was set up to fail because there was no way it could live up to the original movies, which are so wildly unique. And again, caught lightning in a bottle. So it is 100% a cash grab to make another Ghostbusters movie. The first Ghostbusters was such a pop culture explosion. The theme song for that was number one on like radio chart. Oh, yeah. Ray Parker. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Everyone knows that song. Yeah. Super popular. And so they were like, hey, we're far enough removed from this. Does Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray want some more money? Yeah, sure. Let's make another one. And so that was the first problem. The second problem, and stop me if you're shocked by this, but uh, misogynistic loser dorks hate rated this movie from the beginning because oh, girls can't be Ghostbusters. <laughs> they tanked the reviews from the jump. Like if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, it's over a hundred plus thousand negative reviews with no words actually written on them. Yeah. So it's just the worst people on the internet. He can't fathom women being Ghostbusters. This is a movie where an obese ghost drives a taxi cab and another ghost blows Dan Aykroyd. But Ghostbusters being women is where these losers drew the line on realism. Like, fuck off. And so the problem is that happened. And so there was a backlash to the backlash prior to the movie even fucking coming out. And so I never saw this movie in theaters. So I watched it finally for this podcast. And the third issue, I don't count those first two against anyone in the movie. The third part, however, is what I hold against the movie. And that it very much feels like a movie that was rushed to make money so the story is just kind of lacking like a cohesiveness and some heart that would have made it a really good movie and so it's not as bad as people say it is it's just not as good as it could have been and it's just okay in general so it's funny the female leads played by Kristen wig melissa mccarthy kate mccann and leslie jones all have a natural chemistry together and they have a bunch of good one-line jokes that they can bounce off of each other specifically how they treat Chris Hemsworth's character, who is absolutely the funniest running bit in this movie. Uh, Hemsworth plays like an impossibly dumb beefcake who they hire only because he's hot. And he can't even get through like a normal function as a human, but they just keep like slightly crossing the line into maybe like sexually harassing a coworker who is Chris Hemsworth and then pulling it back and being like, but he's so nice and... He really looks like he's got a good heart, but he legitimately can't accomplish anything in the movie. And it's my favorite running bit in the movie. Hemsworth actually said it was the hardest role of his roles for him to prepare for because he's never had to outright play an oblivious idiot who wasn't in on the joke. Like he's played idiots before, but it was like with a wink and a nod. Like I kind of get that I'm like a dumb jock. This one is like complete obliviousness to it. And he's, and he's like, it's hard for him because he's not naturally that type of comedic actor. And so other people like them roasting him and bouncing the jokes off of him and him having to be deadpan for it was very difficult for him. But he's great in it. Like they're, they're interviewing him. And I think one of the lines is uh, they realize that like he does not have the qualifications to be what they need. But uh, Kristen Wiig is just like melting, like looking at him. Yeah. And Melissa McCarthy's like, oh, you don't have any uh, lenses in your glasses? And then he goes to poke himself in the eye. He goes, yeah, it's easier to itch my eye. So I took the lenses out. And she goes, oh, I, I, should, I should try that. I should try that sometime. <laughs> Did he have to leave work early because he was going to a hide-and-seek tournament or something like that? <laughs> and they're like, you got to sit here and answer phones. He's like, look, look. And he just takes the phone off the hook. And they're like, that, 
that doesn't all right and they're like we should probably disconnect this phone <laughs> like people are trying to con- it's definitely the funniest running bit of the movie they still hate him at the end when they're like where did you get a sandwich he's like oh i was looking for you guys in that deli over there <laughs> uh the fans who hated this movie are trash and are full of shit but the movie itself is actually flawed chris hemsworth's fantastic in it another classic review from james that's why i'm here 2016, busy year, because he makes a quick appearance in Doctor Strange to the highest critic score, which is the all-new in Taika Watiti improved version of Thor in Thor Ragnarok, in case hasn't. Yeah. And Rigby is probably very excited for it. <laughs> yeah, you ready, Rigby? No. Yes, I am. I've been waiting all day for this, Craig. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the plot. And like James said, it just wouldn't do this justice. So yeah. here's the plot as much as I'll go into it. Asgard, Thor's home planet has a prophesized destruction, Ragnarok. Like so many of the other fun movies we talked about tonight, there's just so much to unpack. So I'm, again, I'm going to leave it to you guys to kind of add some, some depth to this review. I will say, however, that everything you expect out of Hemsworth in this role, he delivers and then some. I knew I was in for a fun ride within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Then what got me into this movie the most, and you guys know my tendencies as a film critic, this might be one of the best used movie and scene connections ever when Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song is playing while Hemsworth as Thor destroys an entire army. Mm-hmm. The song's amazing. I couldn't stop watching the movie after that because <laughs> of that scene. <laughs> and thankfully, we get it one more time. But, you know, I, I know that this movie has a different feel than a lot of the other uh, Marvel comic movies. And that, to me, was really enjoyable because I'm not a huge Marvel comic fan. I've seen most of them. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I loved about this movie, they might be my favorite two characters, but the interaction and the chemistry between him and the Hulk are just (coughs) so entertaining, man. Hulk like fire. (laughs) Thor like like smoldering fire. (laughs) He throws shit at him and he goes, baby arms. (laughs) (laughs) I I read from a lot of like the big time Marvel Hulk fans, they think this is the best portrayal of Hulk that Marvel's seen on screen. It's the closest thing to like what Hulk was written as in the comics of being like childlike with his nature, like actually full Hulk. And he's a lot of fun in that role because he's kind of abandoned Bruce Banner at this point in, yeah. in time, in the timeline. I love when Banner comes back and Thor's like, yeah, we actually fought. He's like, yeah. oh, did I win? He goes, no, I beat you pretty easily. And he goes, that doesn't, doesn't make so. any sense. Not right? <laughs> That's exactly what I was just going to say, too. That was great. It's a funny movie. And you see the transformation of Thor. Like the big character turn for him is realizing once Mjolnir is taken from him, once his hammer's gone, it's him realizing that thunder is in him the whole time, that he doesn't need a hammer. And that's what, yeah. you know, his dad kind of helps him understand. What are you, the god of hammers? Yeah, Good you're morning. the god of hammers. <laughs> <laughs> you're the god of thunder. I know Warren had to step out for some personal stuff. Yeah. I wish he was here because I know he'd have a lot of thoughts on it, too. I, we were saying this earlier. This is by far one of the best MCU films out there. I agree. Yep. Next couple of years, um, we've got 12 Strong. He plays Captain Nelson, a uh, weirdly timed movie given everything going on in the world right now because he plays a, uh, a, a, a military type that's leading a group on horseback in Afghanistan. So you can kind of make the draw that connection to yourself if you know what's going on in the world. We've got Infinity War. So we see the, the next transformation of the Thor character dealing with a lot of trauma from the Hela situation and Asgard getting displaced, almost dying, brother dying, and 
going out of his way to get his new hammer, to get his new god-killing hammer. Talk about badass entrances like Thor Ragnarok. His entrance into Wakanda is insane in that movie. Yeah. Oh, it gives you chills. Just big old hammer slam with all the thunder and lightning. It's badass. It's a it's an axe, James. Whatever. <laughs> it's not the god of axes, okay? <laughs> true. He's the god of lightning. Got a hammer either. Same year, Bad Times at the El Royale. He plays a character named Billy Lee, a very, kind of a different character, a little mischievous. Yeah. Pretty fun movie. His character is very memorable in that one. He's only in the last 10 minutes of it, and it's one of those movies that it takes you on a journey through each character, and it's like yeah. this thriller, so you don't really know where it's going, but when his character gets introduced, he's like a interpretation of Charles Manson, but if Charles Manson was uh, the sexiest man alive in 2014. Yep. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, I kind of see. Oh, shit, I didn't expect Chris, Chris Hemsworth to be playing this character, and I actually, I, I thought he was great in this role. I did too. I was shocked that this movie didn't do better in the box office. It was budgeted for $32 million and, and it only grossed $32 million. So this movie mm-hmm. barely made its budget back, which was Surprising me because it's got a lot of really good performances and a lot of really good actors. Well, we see the introduction of the newest version of Thor in Avengers Endgame. We run into, uh, some would call it Fat Thor or just Overweight Thor, depending if you don't want to fat shame. (laughs) Because we don't do that on this podcast. We don't body shame on this podcast. But a a choice that some people loved and some people hated for Thor. I don't know why anyone hated it. I thought it's fully embracing the... the funny that had been kind of started with Thor Ragnarok. I think it's, he's going through a depression and you know him as this stunning, you know, physique, physical specimen. And then when you see him, it's like he's hanging out with like his dipshit friends and he's just gained so much weight. Yeah. I think it's a very funny way to display a superhero dealing with depression. He gets a lot of good stuff to work with, too, in the film, though. He's got some emotional scenes, which I think Mm -hmm. is something that Chris Hemsworth can do every now and then. (laughs) It's all that soap opera training he went through. Yeah. That's that's true. (laughs) Which one of the two is it where that that scene with him and Rocket, where Rocket's asking about his trauma? And he's like, are you sure you should be going on a superhero mission right now? (laughs) That's Infinity War. That's yeah, it's like, that's a really to your point, Marty. It's a that's a pretty like powerful emotional scene. It's shrouded in sarcasm and laughter, but it's him literally dealing with the pain of losing his entire family and his all of his people. Like that'll fuck you up every time. Yeah. Dad's dead. Mom got killed by dark elves. Brother's gone. Family's gone. Everything. You had to actually kill your own sister. Oh shit! Yeah. You had to destroy <laughs> your planet to kill your sister that you didn't know you had. And you were kind of lied to your whole life about what your dad used to do. So all of this, so these back-to-back Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Bad Times, 12 Strong, all that leads to him being becoming Forbes' 24th highest paying actor. And honestly, I'm shocked it wasn't higher. Yeah. My man was making some cash. And part of that cash was his role in Men in Black International in 2019, which is our largest audience gap. So a movie that audiences like more than critics. And let me tell y'all, Marty was very excited about getting this when I told him by a text that he was doing Men in Black. So I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> I bet he was. Yeah, I was absolutely ecstatic to see this uh, 23% on uh, Critical <laughs> Consensus Rotten Tomatoes with a 66% audience score. Big gap. Which isn't even that high for an audience <laughs> score. 
Yeah, so this movie came out in 2019. I guess it was kind of the the first movie after Endgame for Chris Hemsworth, and I did not see it. So I had to go see it uh, before this podcast, and I, I saw it on Sunday. The problem with this movie is that it is completely incoherent. Yeah. It is a movie. So I I mean, okay, we can we can give like the basic premise of the movie, which is that Men in Black is now international. I don't know why it wasn't before and it doesn't really matter that it is, but I guess there's multiple Men in Black operations around the world. Sure. It's, it should be universal, right? It, no, it's an American-based company that protects Right. It, okay. Where's your patriotism? <laughs> so Chris Hemsworth is working with Liam Neeson in the UK one, even though Chris Hemsworth is Australian. And then Tessa Thompson is a newbie that kind of has a childhood experience of seeing some event and not getting mind wiped or whatever. So she spends the rest of her life trying to get into the men in black. And eventually she weasels her way in there, which is kind of badass. I think that's funny. But then the movie has a plot kind of about her and Chris Hemsworth teaming up to do something. And there's something called the hive and there's uh, an alien that seems vaguely racist, but it may not be. There is a, Another alien pair that is like kind of the thing from X-Men Dark Phoenix, which is a very obscure reference, but I don't know which one came first. And so, yeah, basically the movie is just, it's kind of dull. It's kind of boring. It's very poorly written. It does bank on, I mean, Chris Emsworth is kind of building a career off of his non-Endgame stuff or his non-MCU stuff of being the best thing in bad movies. And this is one of those examples. He's got Tessa Thompson. I guess I'm kind of surprised. It's probably just because Kyle wanted us to move along a little bit because we could have talked about Thor Ragnarok for hours. Yeah. yeah. But the rela- the relationship and the chemistry between Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth is really good in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. So if you wanted to watch that again, but in a worse movie, then I guess you could watch Men in Black International. <laughs> Although I would recommend you just take a page out of James's book and watch... Thor Ragnarok a second time. That's clearly what somebody wanted to do here. They clearly wanted to just capitalize on Thor Ragnarok, and they made a movie that just had no weight, no meat, no nothing to it. It is kind of a nothing burger of a movie. And I think for the first 30 minutes of the movie, I was like, hey, you know, there's something a little vindicating about getting to watch a movie that I know is supposed to be bad, so I don't really have to, like, take it too seriously even then it was just like i don't even know what's going on because they're throwing out so much gobbledygook at you that it doesn't actually <laughs> grip me because i can't follow anything so language like it's not even bad that it's fun bad it's just bad bad <laughs> i think this movie suffers from the same problem that ghostbusters did and that it's it's kind of setting itself up to fail because the beating a dead horse and the first men in black is so good and like you yeah. just can't recreate that yeah. like, yep they're trying to recreate the um, magic it's not gonna happen yeah this movie also only made $254 million at the box office and was considered a box office bomb. <laughs> that just blows my mind because it really puts into perspective how bad awful it is the now. box office is right now. <laughs> yeah. Like that was bomb. Part of that is it, you know, the US Canada gross was only $80 million. So it lost, it lost money in the States. So it took the international. And the world yeah. grows to, to put it over the top. Yeah, I hear you, Monty. And don't forget, this movie also features our second highest scoring Munson to this point. That's Emma Thompson, and she's very good in it for what she's asked to do. 
I didn't realize she was in Men in Black 3. So when she showed up at the beginning, she was they, this movie is bookended by Emma Thompson. She's in two scenes, the first scene and the yeah. last scene. It just I I was offended. Misuse. Misuse of that talent. Okay, well let's round this thing out. We only got a couple years left following MIB International. Uh, he makes an appearance in a, another Russo project. Infinity War and Endgame Russo movies. He plays Tyler Rake in Extraction, a movie that broke the record on Netflix that was set by Bird Box of Views. So, wow. huge, huge movie. And I think we kind of forgotten about it in the collective consciousness, but in terms of just like an action lead and taking the world by storm, Extraction came out and just captured everyone's attention. That's because everybody was stuck on their couch. Tyler Rake is an awesome name for a character. It really is. And he's, I mean, the, the stunts that they do in that movie is really impressive. He is believable as this mercenary physical presence. And I think it's, it was a great casting on their part to capitalize on the other work. And they worked with him on, on the Avenger stuff. The action is awesome. It, the amount of killing is cartoonish. <laughs> There's so many people getting killed in this movie. Do you, are you looking forward to the upcoming sequel that's already been announced? Like, no, not really. That's, that's, question, that's two separate answers. <laughs> I would say I enjoyed Extraction, but I could not care less about a sequel. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a fun watch that I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> Also, spoilers for Extraction here, but the end of the movie makes it seem pretty difficult to do a sequel. You would think. And then you see a silhouette next to him at the pool. So, I don't know, man. That's a a metaphor. That's a metaphor. But to round us out, he hosted a documentary that's available on Disney Plus called Shark Beach with Chris Hemsworth, Hemsworth, where you learn that he's a big surfer. I mean, it makes sense. He grew up, you know, Melbourne, Australia, and sounds stereotypical, but he done a lot of surfing but also the documentary is all about kind of his his work around protecting sharks and understanding shark patterns and why sharks attack and things like that so a little bit on the uh good person chris hemsworth side so it's about an hour long it's on disney plus easy to easy one to check out if you're interested in that kind of thing and most recently he was appointed the member of the order of australia in 2021 so similar to Gabe Byrne getting his note of notoriety in Ireland apparently Hemsworth is you know big time and Australia's like you're one of our golden kid our golden gooses and we're going to recognize you as such not to be sheltered Kyle but what the hell is the member of the order of Australia do if you don't know you can't afford it is it like fight club or something it's like one of those honors that, like, uh, I know we've talked about it with British actors where... Like getting knighted? Yeah, exactly. They have mm. a king or a queen, or, and it's mostly just figureheads, and it's like, hey, here's an honor that we bestow upon you. It's like an Australian sir? Probably. Yeah, pretty much. Probably. A knight? They like him in Australia. That's what I gathered from the research. All right, so that's that's a, most of the stuff other than like in the heart of the scene, a few other smaller projects along the way. So Rigby's got some top performances queued up for us. Let's see how well we can do. Thor Ragnarok. One. Yeah, so I got <laughs> numero uno. I got a list uh, on from WatchMojo.com. Yeah. Like watch it's actually Mojo. five roles, and they combine the Thor roles. So there's okay. your hint. Okay, that makes sense. It's from 2019, so I think it came out right when Endgame came out. No extraction. No Men in Black. Unfortunately. All right, so Thor is number one. We can establish that. We got to have Rush. Uh, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't confirm my, 
me saying it's number one, though. Yeah. So I'm, no. starting, I'm starting to think it's not number one, but it's on the list. Thor is number one. I don't know what's going on with my mic. Sorry. You're right. Oh, yeah. It was uh, Rush. James Hunt. Yeah. Yep. Rush is number two. Oh, yeah. Cabin in the Woods. Number three. All right. Can we get a perfect Can we get a perfect score here? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What would be number four? We know it's not Black Hat or Vacation. I, I want to say it might be Ghostbusters. Yeah, he was great in Ghostbusters. I'll, I'll sign off on that. That is number five. So you were missing number four. Oh, oh no. You're still four for four. In yeah, terms it's just of not in order. Yeah, it's not in order. It's not the same. Yeah, it's not Red Dawn. <laughs> we know that. It's not Huntsman. You think they do uh, El Royale? Maybe that's a good contender. He was very good in that. that um, just, I guess. don't know what else it would be. I support that. Maybe hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not the only other jump. one I'm I'm considering throwing out would be Twelve Strong because that was a huge role. Vacation also I could see as a dark horse here because he's really funny in that. Would they do George Kirk? No, I don't think no. it's too small. But it is. It packs a punch. I I vote Bad Times. I agree. My vote would be Twelve Strong. What do you What are y'all thinking? I'm on. El Royale. Okay. I think that's going right. to be consensus. Three, that's, that's three right. v one. So El Royale's the guess. You should have gone with your gut. It's the Huntsman. Oh, <laughs> really? That's not my gut. Nobody was, guessed that. That wasn't our gut. <laughs> okay, that means that the person who wrote that article has not seen El Royale. Uh, <laughs> There's no way that it, Huntsman is better than that. Person. It was pretty new when it. that came out, so maybe they just hadn't seen it yet. I I want to say good job, though. I mean, obviously the first one's pretty. Pretty easy to guess, Obvious. but you guys did yeah. a you guys did a good job on the other ones. So now we've never gotten one, two, three like that before. Just bang, bang, bang. So we even deliberated and still missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the Mudson meter. The way this works, we rank every actor on a scale of zero to one hundred based on a variety of factors. Those factors can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, the range as an actor, awards footprint, any other talents they might have their personal life, whether they're a good person or not, comedic chops, box office success or lack of, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. This week, Warren, like we mentioned, Warren had to jump off a little bit early, take care of some things, but we do have his score because he did all the research. Did not give me an explanation, but he gave Hemsworth a 74. So we will start. That is our baseline to begin, and we will follow up next with James. So I love how Warren and I have been going recently because our, even though he hasn't actually been here to give the scores, our scores have been remarkably close. Uh, so with Hemsworth, what I like about him is what everyone likes about him is he is a pretty boy who you don't hate. And that's very hard to be. When you see that, you're like, you're like I, I want to give him no benefits of the doubt. And he just continues to impress me in every role that he is in. He is charming. He is funny. And I think that's his sweet spot where he is playing off his like natural kind of magnetic energy, but his sarcastic humor. I think he's a very good comedic actor when he's in the role. I have enjoyed seeing him in other dramatic roles. What's unfortunate is that he hasn't taken many of them. And it seems to be because of box office, uh, box office success and a lack thereof. Yes. Because... If you're Thor and Marvel, you know, rings the bell and say, hey, it's time to be Thor, you're going to go running. Like, you're not going to stop being Thor. So, of course, you're going to take those movies. I'm excited to see where his career goes now that that kind of has phased out a little bit. I hope he does continue to expand and take more dramatic roles because I think he's been very good in the ones that I have seen. However, there hasn't been that much range. It's been, you know, he's the 
the strong, good-looking leading man, or he's the strong, good-looking leading man who's kind of funny. And that's okay, because he's been good in those. I loved what he was in El Royale. It was a little twist on it, making him kind of the manipulative version. I enjoyed that, and I think that'd be really cool to see maybe him play more kind of, to steal something from what Mahdi mentioned earlier, kind of the toxic masculinity roles. I think that would be good, because you only know him as the lovable Thor. I think seeing him in a hateable role would be very interesting. It just hasn't happened quite yet. Super private guy, but based on everything I've read, he's a good dude, and everyone seems to like him. And then when I'm looking at my scores, because I now have to give scores based on you know regret scores I've given in the past. Stick to your rubric. There's simply no way I could score him lower than Chris Pratt. So I am going to give him one above what I gave Chris Pratt, which is a 73. Case. I'm going to come in a lot higher than I thought I was going to. I think I'm onto it. Why? He's probably the biggest action star we've covered. Yes. And as I was looking at his career as a whole, he really is kind of a flashback to the 90s action stars of like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and even Bruce Willis that we talked about earlier. If he's in your movie, it's going to be a box office success, regardless if it's a good movie or not. And that's, that's pretty rare to pull off these days, and, and I think he's doing it. I don't think he's got a lot of range, and I'm kind of torn on that, right? I found him really funny in a lot of the movies I watched, and I think he's got really good comedic timing for an actor. But at the same time, I'm not sure if I want to watch a lot of comedies with Chris Hemsworth in. It's just like I don't know if I really want to watch a lot of comedic actors in action movies. And so I'm really not going to hammer him a lot on his range like I have some other actors because I think that action star is becoming so rare. And for him to be great in it, I I really enjoy. The other thing that is impressive to me about his career was how quickly he became a leading man. And, I mean, you think about it, right? I mean, he was in a marginal role in A Perfect Getaway, which we, I think, kicked ass. And then a year later, he's second billed in cash. And then a year after that, he's Thor. I mean, with a blink of an eye, the guy became a leading man who could carry a movie and, and a franchise. Like we talked about earlier, he destroys in the box office. He's played one of the biggest characters and arguably the biggest movie franchise ever. And, and I do think he's a big part of that success. And so with all that being said, I'm going to give him one of my better scores at an 83. Ooh, that is good. Nice. It's a very good score. Dr. Grohl, you're up next. I think I kind of almost completely agree with everything that James said, not just showing my favoritism since James has been on my podcast before, but I think that he is an incredibly charismatic actor. I think that he is very clearly intelligent and knows what his strengths are. So he picks a lot of roles that play to those strengths. That makes him a very dependable actor for certain roles and it makes him a very reliable person that when you see him in a movie you're like okay i I know at least i'm going to get some basic level of entertainment or just enjoyment out of watching him in whatever role he's doing he doesn't really take challenging roles which is kind of what i'm waiting for for him Mm -hmm. he takes roles and, and and in a way i guess you could say that ghostbusters and some of the more comedic ones are challenging but i would argue that they're more self-effacing or self-defacing than they are actually challenging and what i would like to see from him is those types of roles that really push him to do something kind of out there or something that isn't totally safe 
or isn't totally in his comfort zone. And I think that's what separates him and, and people like Chris Evans as well, who I would lump in as like, I really like you as an actor and I love seeing you show up in movies, but I know what I'm going to get, right? I'm never overwhelmingly surprised by what I see. But if you think about roles or if you think about actors from, you know, earlier generations that are equally as like incredibly attractive, but have kind of gotten to that next level of every project that you're in is going to be gold. So I'm thinking like Leo and Brad Pitt, who are both pretty boys, but kind of have that extra thing when they pick projects. He's not there yet. So I can't give him like a really high score, but I will still say that I love this actor and I will definitely watch almost everything that he's in as long as it seems interesting. And I think that's better than I can say about most people in Hollywood right now. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give him a 72. All right. My end, pretty quick. You guys have hit most of it. I will say, I think an app comparison is he is the Australian version of Gabe Byrne, but much better when it comes to like <laughs> representing in Hollywood for a, a country that isn't represented very often. That is a wildly insulting compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but better. Here's the qualifier. I think I just heard Warren, like, not even on this podcast, just throw his phone against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Warren's going to bug Bundy punch you through the phone. <laughs> he's, as you guys mentioned, he's held back by longevity, range, awards footprint. I mean, the peak of his awards are People and Kids' Choice Awards, right? So big, huge hit there. I mean, kids love him, teenagers, and, you know, he's one of the biggest popcorn actors out there. I would have liked to see him... He's never going to be in an indie film. He's too unless he starts to like destroy his career somehow, some way. For the time being, he's going to be in big blockbusters, big pictures because he can demand that price tag when he joins the picture, and indies will not be able to afford him. So I don't think you're going to see him trying anything terribly different than what he's doing right now. Lots of action movies, big budget films, superhero stuff. That's essentially what Chris Hemsworth has been, and what you're going to see him do over the next ten years. I can almost guarantee it. But of the Chris's we've covered on this podcast, I think he's the best of the, the two, uh, of the three, I guess, with Chris Rock as well. So Chris Tucker. And Chris Tucker. Four Chris's. My God, the Chris universe is huge in the Munson side. One day we'll get to you, Pine and Messina and, and Evans. You guys not do Chris O'Dowd? I thought you did. We did. Oh, my God. You're right. Oh, my God. Five Chris's. Chris's. Five and 43. Thank you for that. So I'm going to give him a solid 70. And Rigby, round us out. Yeah, you guys hit on all of them. Obviously, I mean, <clears throat> the guy has pretty much carved out his path for the rest of his career. And more power to him because, like, we've all talked about how bankable he really is. And, I mean, Craig, you made a great point. He's he's a throwback to the action stars of the 80s and 90s um, with the Stallones and the Schwarzeneggers. Um, I, I, you know, I would say... I would question his range a little bit more if, like, I hadn't seen Ghostbusters and Vacation because he's funny in those. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I know Vacation's kind of small, but it's funny and it's it's like not something that you would expect from him. You would kind of expect him just to be kind of a playboy meathead in all of his movies, you know, blowing stuff up and and chasing women. But that's not what he is in those roles, and I think I think that adds something to it. Um, obviously, his awards footprint is pretty non-existent, as you mentioned, Kyle. But there's something to be said about somebody who, you know, 
he's young and he's already carved out his career the rest of his life. Like the guys can, the guy could quit tomorrow and like be comfortable. So I think there's something that needs to be said about that. So all that being said, I'm going to give him a 76. That gives Chris Hemsworth a 74.67, which puts him at 19th out of 43 actors in between Keith David and Christina Applegate. Oh, wow. His crossover. Yeah. It's also a, pretty indicative of him being fairly young into his career. You pretty much only know him as Thor for the last 10 years. Yeah, Chris Pratt is 23rd, so he's four spots Good. lower than Hemsworth right now. That's <laughs> 71. So he's got a three-point lead on Pratt overall. So in our, in our Chris sweepstakes right now, let's run down the score. So Hemsworth's at 19th at a 74. Pratt's at 23rd at a 71. Tucker is at 40th with a 59.17. O'Dowd is at 43rd at a 53. And who's the fifth, Chris? Rock. Chris Rock. Oh, Chris Rock's the highest one at 15th at 77.4. You're talking about like one of the greatest comedians of all time. It's going yep. to be a little outbalanced there. Right in the middle of the pack for us. And I know, Case, you said in box office metrics he was at fifth. Fifth, yes. But so we're pretty far off in terms of our consensus on that one. But I'm not surprised because I don't I wouldn't put him in that contention of Cranston, Rockwell, Mahershala, Janney. He's nowhere near that. You mean his Kid Choice Award doesn't hold up to the multiple Oscar winners? <laughs> Four time Oscar nominee Holly Hunter yeah. in the top ten? No, I don't think that's going to that's going to mesh. Coming soon, what does he have on deck? So first and foremost. It sounds like he's going to be making an appearance in What If, the animated series that's on Disney Plus with the second episode launching this week. Um, He's in a movie with Miles Teller called Escape from Spiderhead that comes out allegedly in 2021. The rest of his stuff that he has is really exciting. So we've got Thor Love and Thunder, big expectations there. You've got Furiosa, which I wish... I wish Warren was here to talk about that because he loved Mad Max Fury Road. And this is the origin story for Mad Max. I loved Mad Max And as he's well. casted alongside Taylor Anya Taylor-Joy. Yep, so that's a big one. That's in pre-production. And to carry on with his other trend, it's got a $285 million budget. So that yeah. just adds to his record average budget standing. The other big one is the one Case is pumped about, the untitled Hulk Hogan biopic. That has been announced that he's going to play Hulk Hogan. So that's cool. You guys are all going to regret your scores when that movie comes out. I guarantee you. <laughs> no, I, I want to rescore when that comes out because I'm pumped. Add it to the box. Yeah, Craig, I, I'm excited for that as well. And then Extraction 2, which I mentioned earlier, which may just be a small cameo or could be his uh, survival story. We'll find out. TBD. But let's talk about the next episode. So our next podcast is hitting September 9th. Our guest is Lauren Hopkins, who was previously with us for the Meyer Rudolph episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our favorite local Pittsburgh extra. Extra. There you go. We'll see what kind of project she's been on during the pandemic since then. But the five actors we're throwing out of the wheel for that episode with Lauren are Elliot Page, Neil McDonough, Jesse Eisenberg, Billy Connolly, and Giancarlo Esposito. What are our thoughts? If we cover Billy Connolly, it'll be the second opportunity I have to remind everyone that the Boondock Saints sucks so bad. <laughs> it's awful. Billy Connolly's in another one of my favorite movies. He's in The Last Samurai, and I would love to talk about it. Yeah. Esposito would be interesting. He's got really good TV credits, and he's in some really famous movies like Do the Right Thing and, yep. and Usual Suspects. 
but that would be a very TV centric episode, I think. Yep. I, I mean, we've obviously done that before with some people, so I wouldn't be against that either. I'd love to cover Elliot Page. I think it's a fascinating tale because you have to include mm-hmm. the transition becoming Elliot Page and all the acting that was done prior to that and where he is now and where his career is going to go, I think is going to be super fascinating. So I think that would be a very interesting career, super young in the game and has already had major roles, award-driven roles, and then had a major life change. Juno, movies like Juno are in there. and I love Juno. Umbrella Academy, most recently, on Netflix. Inception as well. The Last Stand, X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Neil McDonough is like kind of a low-end bad guy in pretty much everything he's in. So we just talk about being a baddie. An arrow, right? The, the whitest man on earth, Neil McDonough. Yeah, that's true. White-ass hair, bro. It's not even blonde. It's like... It's white. Sun-colored. Yeah. yeah. It's the brightest white you could be. <laughs> yeah. Neil McDonough's most recent movie I've seen with him, he was in Sonic. And so I can talk about Marston again. <laughs> I mean, he was great in Walking Tall with The Rock. Yeah, he's a good bad guy, man. He's a good yeah, baddie. Man. Yep. He plays the really eccentric pitcher in Angels in the Outfield. Yes, he oh, does. Yes, that's, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. I totally forgot. Whit, oh, Whit Bass. Whit Bass. I just looked it up. He like that's slides right. into the pitcher's mound. Remember that? I feel like Jesse Eisenberg would be, he's probably the most popular of this bunch. Yeah. For sure. And would provide probably the best movies. out of the. I mean, social network. Dr. Grohl, who would you pick? I would definitely pick Jesse Eisenberg simply because then uh, we would get to talk about the social network again, yeah. which you guys did already do when you came on the podcast sure. to talk about. Yeah, that. dude. I, I remember you and Kyle. That was your numero uno. That's right. Yeah. Because we're right. Amazing movie. Great performance. And he's got a couple of other fun ones out there. So. He's Lex Luthor, which is, has all sorts of. I said fun ones, not bad ones. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going with controversial ones because some What's that horror that? movie he came out? I just watched it. It was good. It was weird, and it's definitely like a, oh, that's good one-time watch, but I enjoyed it. Uh, where he's in the suburbs. Oh, uh, uh, Vivarium with Imogen Poots. Yeah, it's yeah. weird, but it's, it's cool. Yeah, he's, he's in a bunch of indie films, too. Yeah, I was going to say, he's also in a, a Sundance movie that came out this year called Wild Indian, and he plays like... It's very good. He's insanely famous for a role that could be played by like literally anybody that could speak english it is a <laughs> and it's so fascinating that they got jesse eisenberg i think he produced the movie and stuff but it's it's kind of like an intentional commentary on you know native american individuals and in movies but anyways yeah he picks interesting projects yes he does yeah. well regardless Marty doesn't pick we don't pick the wheel sides well we've reached the end of our chris hemsworth journey Madi, do you have any plugs you like to make for the show? We are on a bit of a hiatus for the movie marathon. It's not really sure what the future of that holds, partially because I've been busy with the uh, doctor stuff, I guess, but also because I kind of started a a YouTube channel mm. uh, not really related to movie marathoners or moving movies at all. Uh, it's actually video games. I, I play Pokemon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of popped Sweet. off. So I've been very, very busy with that. Um, so Very cool. You guys were doing this in Discord. You can see that my little avatars uh, and mm-hmm. my name is FlagonHG because that's yep. the name of the channel. So check that out if you like watching uh, Pokemon playthroughs. But other than that, thanks so much for having me on. Get, get vaccinated, people. Thanks for joining us, dude. Yeah.
I say that? You can cut that if you want. No, no we're pro-vaccination all the bro, time. You don't have to we're pro-vax. Please Absolutely. don't say that last part. <laughs> we're not cutting that. We appreciate you, man. We will definitely have you back. And uh, it'll be a great episode, no matter who you pick. Yeah, sounds great, man. Thank you so much. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on the on the IG at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Chris Hemsworth? Listen, buddy, if you don't log off this game immediately, I'm going to fly over to your house, come down to that basement you're hiding in, rip off your arms, and shove them up your butt. Oh, that's right. Just go cry to your father, you little weasel. Munson's out. <sighs> All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?